Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Scott Selhorst is back. Scott, thank you very much for taking time out of your morning. Oh, yeah. Absolute pleasure, Dave. Glad, glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I always enjoy talking to Scott because my head explodes every single time. So I'm looking forward to seeing that happen today. Um, we're going to talk about something that Scott posted recently on his blog, which you can find at tinerblaine.com, right? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, how would you, how would you like summarize the blog post really quickly? And before we get into all this stuff? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so I have a colleague named April Dunford who wrote a book called obviously awesome. She is top shelf at positioning. And, uh, and one of the, one of the comments that, that she has, like in, in explaining what positioning is for the folks who, uh, who don't do that stuff is that customers need to be able to easily understand what your product is, why it's special and why it matters to them. And so like, I'm a product guy and I don't do positioning, but what jumped out at me was, you know, it's probably important that your product genuinely be special for someone in order to make it possible to position and help the customer understand why it's special for them. Right. So that it's, they want it, that, that they feel like compelled to buy it. Well, yeah, build something that they need so that you can effectively do the marketing to help them know that here's the thing they need. Okay. So I, I, have, I've, I want to ask for an example for, in a second, but, but first you said that this isn't like your main focus. What is the main focus of the work that you do for the folks that aren't familiar with you? Uh, yeah, so, so I do uh, product management and strategy consulting. Uh, I've spent, uh, gosh, I've been consulting for 25 years now, which is insane. Um, I spent about five years doing, uh, organizational transformation work, um, focusing on product, but, you know, mainly in that context of agile transformation for really large companies and, um, you know, way, way back in the day, like I, I got into agile in 2000 when I was, uh, still slinging code for a living. Uh, and I was, and I was early in that agile product management space. And, uh, you know, for my great good fortune is I really had the opportunity to try and figure out how good product management works inside the bigger systems of product creation and software development, most commonly, but software services, hardware, mixed, mixed media, I guess, for lack of a better word. And, uh, and, and most recently I've been, I've been focusing on, um, training on product management craft, right? So think product managers, product owners inside systems and approaching it in terms of how do we make the systems better? You know, how do, how do we help people get better at product in ways that matter for the people and matter for the companies where they work? Okay. And so it's, it's, a, it's a systems design problem as much as it is go learn this skill problem. And now you know why my head explodes every time I talk to Scott. It's not just that he's trying to teach people how to be product managers, but it's the systematic creation of people and the work that they do. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's... Uh, <laughs> obviously. Uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, right. There's a, the Association for Product Professionals, which uh, just launched last year uh, that, I, that I'm a member of. And part of its charter is helping people, helping define what product management is, right? Like we, we don't have the PM box like, like you guys do. And um, helping define what product management is, helping people who are new to product build their careers, uh, helping them 
grow the skills they need to grow, helping organizations find the product people they need, because how do you know what to ask for, right? Like, so that's sort of their mission. And it's, there's, there's something that was really visceral that jumped out at me in uh, company after company that I've worked with over the last couple of decades is people get anointed or, you know, we, we, you and I both have a, have a colleague who used to say knighted with a product management <laughs> title, you know, of one form or another. Right. But with no, with no training. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> in, into what the job is. And then the, the tricky thing, and this is where that system stuff starts to bleed in is the team around them doesn't know what to ask them for either. Yeah. They don't know what to rely on the product person to help them do. And, and, and so that system a, doesn't allow them to be the product person they need to be for those people either. Usually. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's another kind of problem, right? Like, like I said, in, in that uh, organizational transformation space, that's where I really, really lived into helping from a leadership point of view down, helping the people designing, driving, and uh, changing the systems around people okay. to make it possible for people to do the work that needs doing. Okay. All right, now I'm going to reel us back a little bit. So we're going to we're going to start out with positioning and we're going to move on to talking a little bit about outcomes and outputs and how to plan around that stuff and then end up probably around user stories. I th- I think. But um I wanted to try to give an example of the positioning thing. Like everybody needs a toothbrush. But how do I if I have a toothbrush, how would I make it like the toothbrush that everyone has to have? That's the positioning question, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And you know, and with my with my huge caveat again that I don't do positioning. Right. Like, I would I would work through and say why why do I need a toothbrush? Is it because I have bad breath? Is it because I have bone loss in my teeth? Is it because I have some periodontal gum disease? Like, right. What is the problem I'm trying to, or because of, uh, I want to look good in photos, right? Like what, or, you know, put, put forth some sort of sure. uh, pre- present myself as a healthy person in my community. Like but, what, what is the goal behind having a toothbrush? But there's hundreds of toothbrushes. I mean, like, why would, this is, isn't this about why would this particular toothbrush, like whether maybe it's a Sonicare toothbrush or it's, I don't know, whatever toothbrush, like, why is this one the one? Isn't yeah, that the question? And, yeah. And I, and I think the frame comes from uh, how does the person judge success? You know, how does the customer judge one toothbrush better than another? Yeah. And the, the framework for that, uh, like, also, I'm not a psychologist, uh, and I, and, but I've occasionally played one on TV. Like if, <laughs> if you look at uh, means end theory uh, and, uh, and means end chaining and you work backwards, there are user goals that, that people have in their heads of this is why I want something. It's, it's sort of the foundation if you've been exposed to the jobs to be done thinking behind jobs to be done as a, as a way to approach work or the challenger sale as, a, as an approach to selling things. Right. But basically, like people have a reason why they want a toothbrush. And inside that region, reason is the way that they would judge successfully achieving their goal. And that's like this magic piece we want to sort of hold on to. Um, okay. and, and we can talk about outcomes in a minute. But from the point of view of that user or that customer, their outcome is I stop having bone loss or 
I no longer have bad breath or mm-hmm. what, whatever it is, right? Their, their goal is I don't want bad breath. And so when they say, okay, well, how do I solve that goal? Well, I've got mouthwash is a product that could be used to help with that. Uh, the right toothbrush is a product that could be used to help with that. But they, I mean, they have to work through, you know, what, what the right way to get there is. Okay. And, and so when, when we're making products, when we're making toothbrushes, we need to think about what it, what it is about the toothbrush that we might build that makes it likely to help the user address their goal. So then we're presented with, with these choices of, well, what do I build? You know, do I build a gum massager into the toothbrush? Do I build, do I make the handle uh, bigger, you know, easy to grip, like the, the easy grip thing for somebody who uh, maybe doesn't have a lot of grip strength in their hand? Sure. Um, you know, do I build a water pick for somebody who doesn't want the, to, all of these different features that we could go build. And so then the question is, well, which one should we build? If, if we're not thinking about the outcome for the user, if we're not outside in, yeah. in our approach or customer centric, then what, what criteria do we have for choosing? Okay. We, can, we can look at competitors and we can look at costs. But we usually just tell us, decide what our gut tells us they want, right? Isn't that uh, what most people do? Yeah. What, well, yeah. So like if, you know, if I drive away from the toothbrush example and into the, right, the software and services and internal IT systems world sure. that, that we've lived in for a while, yeah. what tends to get built is the first idea somebody had. Okay, so this is the thing I wanted to ask you about. With what you just described, people believe that they understand why I need a toothbrush or why I need this application. But one of the things I find when I do exercises in class around like come up with a problem, let's create a product to solve it, is the statement of the problem isn't actually the problem. And it takes like an hour to figure out that it's not really that you hate doing laundry. It's that it takes too long for you to do laundry and you'd rather do something else. Um, do, do you find that people are, I mean, is that is that like super common that people misunderstand what the problem is in the first place? So they might be coming up with ways to solve it, but they're solving the wrong thing. Uh, yes. Like that's, that's the domain of, and I want to I want to unpack it at a couple different levels of abstraction. But okay. before before I get to that, I think that's the domain of product management uh, is understanding the problems that need to be solved and okay. framing them in a way that you can organize a collaborative team around a sense of purpose. Uh, so we know purpose. if it's gum disease or bad breath or whatever, we, we yeah. know what the problem is. Okay. Yeah. And, and there's a couple of different levels of abstraction. So like when we talk about the problem statement stuff, I think about that more organizationally as like, what bets are we going to place? We're going to go uh, capture the market for people with bad breath. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's one level of thing. But that's not the foundation of all the decisions. There, there are people that that's the level they play at, that their, uh, their time span of discretion is, what are we going to do this quarter? What are we going to do next quarter, right? Like the strategic moves and the business movers and shakers and stuff. And that, that is one of the aspects of product management, sort of the classic area of product, product management, um, writing problem statements and managing epics and doing that sort of stuff. But you got to drop down into the core like that. That level of thinking helps you place bets that are good for the business, mm-hmm. but there really isn't any space in that decision-making for the particular users. 
And so you got to drop down inside because we need to build things that are valuable to the business. You know, why mm-hmm. should we make this investment? But you, we also, everything we build also needs to be uh, desirable to our users. Why would somebody use this? Because that, right, the business premise is flawed if you aren't making a product that somebody needs. But So if you're not focused on customers with bad breath, uh, then you're not going to build the right toothbrush for customers with bad breath. So you okay. got to drop down into the, like the user story uh, that you mentioned. Yeah. That's, that's a tool that we use inside these systems uh, that makes it possible for us to focus on the goal of the user. And so okay. you could say, as a person with bad breath, uh, I need to be able to interact uh, face-to-face in tight quarters so that I can do my job or so that I can feel good about it. like whatever it is. Like if you're a barista at a coffee shop, yeah. Um, well, that's probably not a good example because everybody there has coffee, coffee breath or wants coffee breath. So, <laughs> so I, I can't, I can't use that example, but maybe if you're, uh, maybe you you're know, taking salsa dancing lessons. Yeah. Salsa dancing lessons, or I was going to say you're, you're working as a shoe salesman. And so you're always right. Very personally in somebody's space while yeah. you put the shoe on them. I don't know if people still do that. Um, but I remember that from the mall <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> Going to one of those places where you let people touch your feet. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, so like if Al Bundy had bad breath, that would be a problem. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to get to the user story thing, but, but I'm going to try to, walk down the path a little bit. So let's say we understand the problem. We identify things we have to create. We make a list of the stuff we have to build. And that's going to turn into user stories at some point. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk for a second about the outcome output thing, because that was something that you mentioned we were kind of getting ready for the interview that I thought creates a really interesting problem for project managers. And I'd like to have it in people's heads before we get to the user story part. Yeah. So, okay. So you used a phrase that is, I would say way too common and way too comfortable. The okay. list of stuff we need to build. Yeah. Cause we know because we thought about it and we figured it out. How right. to make well, Al Bundy's bad breath go away. Yeah. And there's, well, there's, there's two problems with that. One is uh, the list is wrong. Yeah. I was going to say one is we're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we can just lean into that. The list is always wrong. What we don't know is how much of it is wrong and how wrong it is. Okay. We we just, we don't know, but it's always, uh, it's always at least somewhat wrong. Yeah. And so when we, when we organize ourselves uh, at, at a systems level, when we organize ourselves around declaring success when we finished building everything on the list. Yeah. Then there's one thing that we're certain about and one thing that we are uncertain about. Right. What we're certain about is that we finished everything on the list because we can see it and we can say, is it done? Yes or no. Check the box, check the box, check the box. So we're certain we finished all the things that last year seemed like a good idea or a month ago. That was the plan. Here's the list of things. It's the first idea we had. Mm Mm-hmm. What we're uncertain about is whether or not it worked. Right. What we don't know is if what we built meets the needs of our users. Um, at, at one client, uh, I guess they would be like a Fortune 2 auto manufacturer. I don't <laughs> want to say their name. Um, at one client, we had a conversation. The, the, the way I put it to the room was, 
when, when somebody asked, hey, what, what is a value proposition? Like we're working on value proposition. And I said, well, it's we are proposing that this thing we want to build is valuable to you. Okay. That's a value proposition. Maybe so, what we want to build is something you want. Let's we that's what we propose. So we're gonna go build it and then find out, or we're gonna go prototype it and find out. Because you don't know, this is the, the, I want to just pause for a second. If you tell me you're going to build me something, I, I might say I want it. But when you give it to me, I realize, oh, that isn't what I want. Like, I have to see it to know. You yeah. can't just talk about it. That's always true. Always, okay. always, always. And that's true. one of the things that stuff like many of the agile practices are supposed to reduce that risk with these small bets. Uh, yes. Okay. So uh, you, you've, you've, You've teed into the agile practices. So, like from a from a project management point of view, yeah. um, the first thing that's observable about iterations or sprints, like in your audience, do they care which term they use? No. Um, each iteration is a subset of the work. Yes. And uh, what's what's really interesting about agile is people people throw this phrase out and. Uh, I don't know if cavalier is the right word, but maybe without enough deep thinking about what it means. So I'll say uh, iterative and incremental. That's what agile stuff is. I'm like, okay, yeah. great. Uh, you take a big project and you slice it up into a bunch of iterations. All you are doing is incrementing. You are not actually iterating. Right. Because iterating means changing. Yep. And so if you take at the start of the quarter, 12 weeks worth of work and split it up into six different mini projects of two weeks worth of work. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't actually do anything smaller. You did better project management, right? Because everybody tends to procrastinate. There's a long slog and right. 80% done, 80% remaining. Like that's the old joke. And so what you're, which, but that's, that's also, uh, you know, the pejorative description of waterfall. And when you do that, all you're doing is creating mini waterfalls. Because at the end of the first sprint, you're going to start on the work that's already been scheduled for the second sprint. Yeah. That's only incrementing. It's incrementalism. If, if, you know, if I wanted Incre to. <laughs> Incrementalist. Wanted to things. Okay. Uh, what you have to do, and this, I believe there's three characteristics of, a, of an agile system. And if all three of them aren't true, then you're not doing agile right. The okay. first one is that in your system, in your conversation design, in your process, in whatever, create opportunities to learn. The second thing that has to happen is you have to take the actions to learn stuff when those opportunities are presented. And then the third thing, and this is the one where almost, it's very, it's, it's unfortunately far too rare in large organizations. You have to change the plan based on what you learned. Okay. So this, and this, this, this is part of like the whole thing where it's like, I think people listening would probably be thinking obviously, but also they never think about this. It's, you know, it's um, when, when we show up, if, if we're not designing the system, yeah. when we show up, we look around and say, well, what's the system around us? And how do I operate most effectively within it? Yeah. Right. How, do, how do I write a good user story for the system that's around me? Um, like and and so this is this is the area that I've that I've been spending uh, quite a bit of time with with clients recently, say over the last six months, but you know over the last I don't know ten or fifteen years off and on. The user story is a tool, and so 
it's not that the template is a tool. Like the template is a template, right? As a as a, as a so I can. coffee drinker, I need to get some coffee so that I don't sound like an idiot on an early morning podcast with Dave, right? You know, or what, whatever the whatever the story or is. I, that yeah, tax create uh, space, for, a safe space for me to sound like an idiot. The, yeah. Okay. We can do that. Uh, I, I, good luck for me though. I don't know how I'll make that happen. Um, right. The, the template's just a template. Each individual user story that somebody on a team creates is, is a tool that, which has a purpose inside the system. And the purpose of that tool is to represent the voice of the customer. Um, you know, I would say if the user story doesn't reflect the goals of the user and put them in the ear of the developer, the developer's not going to build the right thing. And so there's two ways, maybe, well, there's more than two, but I'll start with two. Well, two yeah, ways we should to think about go, the user story. Okay. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, what you just said is, is really significant and I think is one of those things that seems like table stakes to people like you and I, but is very often incredibly misunderstood. Because that's when you get stories like what the database wants put inside it or how the system administrator wants the login screen to do a thing. And that's not the point of the user story. Not, not at all. Right. Like, and that's, that's the, uh, it's, it's that that's use casing user stories, basically. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the flawed Lego that prevents you from building the castle you want to build. <laughs> If the, user, if the user story doesn't have that element of here is the user's goal and how they would judge acceptability, right? Which yeah. is super uncomfortable, right? Like this, this is why the shift from outputs to outcomes is so difficult at an organizational level because you lose control. You can control what outputs you choose to build and you can control working until you finish them. You can't control whether or not your customer likes them. You can only influence them. You can't and, control whether or not it meets the needs. You can only influence whether it meets the needs by understanding the needs and being clever about the thing that you could build that will meet those needs. So just to create the really help the fear lock in, what Scott's talking about is if we were going to really do this stuff right, we would focus more on outcomes instead of outputs. But most of us in the execution part get locked into the the output. And when we write our SOWs, it would be super scary to write an SOW that was completely outcome focused with no time or attention paid to output. Because how the hell would you price that? I'll be done when you're happy. That's right. It's it's a it's a risk management conversation, right? Yeah. Like at one at one end of the extreme, like of, of a of a horribly imbalanced contract. And I, you know, and I've been an independent consultant since 2005. So I've, I've lived on both sides of this or I've lived through both flavors of this. One of them is here's a price and I'll keep working until you're happy and, or until I meet your needs, right? Your goals or whatever. And then the other side is here's a price. I will work for this amount of time, which I think is enough to make you happy. But at the end of the time, I'm done working, whether you're happy or not. Now, right. now, is that is that okay? Because that's all, my approach has been that, but it's always I'm here for this long. It's your job to make sure you get what you want while I'm here. I will do whatever you want. Yeah, right. So that's that's uh, that's kind of risk free for you, right? Or you know, in in the small, well, that's risk free as long as as long as the person continues to be happy with your services. Right, they will continue to employ you. It's not conditional. 
and happy with their level of engagement, which a lot of organizations don't want that. They want to throw it over the wall and get it back when it's done. Yes, which which is which is another one of those challenges of um, how how do we change the system again? Getting into that organizational uh, transformation work that right. that we've done in the past, or well, I guess maybe you still do it, uh, and I guess at some level I still do it too. Um, changing the system around the people uh, is what you have to do to make the company better. But what you also have to do is change how people work within the system, right? Like, and this is one of those great debates. Do you, do you drive change top down or bottoms up? And I, I think the answer is you got to do both. Both. Yeah. Okay. I, I took us down a rabbit hole. I didn't mean to take us down. Sorry about that. I want to go back to the user stories. Um, everybody wants to be better at writing them. One of the things I've started to tell people is it's okay if you suck at writing user stories because all they have to do is be good enough for somebody to say, tell me more. And if that, if it does that, then we're probably okay. But I think that based on what you're saying, I probably need to modify what I'm saying to people because it's not really enough. It's, it isn't enough, but it, 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 it's, it solves a localized problem. It's enough along one vector, but it's, it's not enough. Leaving us wide open on another side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the way I broadly think about this is completeness and correctness. And this is, again, it's another one of those things that makes it um, really uncomfortable to shift from outputs to outcomes. Um, and it makes it, it's a, uh, it's a take the blue pill kind of moment of okay. um, thinking about user stories in a different way. And, and here's what I mean about that. If you looked at a list of user stories, you have a list of user stories, maybe, God forbid, you put them in a spreadsheet. And you could look at every single row in that spreadsheet. You could analyze any individual user story and say, is this correct? Did I write it with the right syntax? Did I identify a user who I sufficiently understand? Did I articulate the goal that the user has that uh, whatever it is we're going to go build, you know, whether it's a UI update or a database update or a whole new service or whatever it is, yeah. Do I do I have the user? Do I have the goal? And do I have the do I have out? Have I captured my understanding of the conditions of acceptance from the point of view of that user? Right, like the syntax is deceptively simple. Like and as as an Amazon customer, I would like to be able to update my shipping address so that I receive my packages after I move. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a, that's a great story. Okay. Um, and you you could even take it to another level to say, as an Amazon customer, I need to I want to be able to receive my packages after I move so that they don't get delivered to the old house. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like so, there's there's a there's a there's a laddering effect and a level of abstraction of how you talk about the the goals and the. Uh, the two tools I use to avoid analysis paralysis around that is it has to be a big enough goal to be meaningful and it has to be a small enough goal to be actionable. And then, okay. we, you know, whether we run down the rabbit hole around this, how big should a user story be? Those are my, those are my guidelines and course corrections. And the, and the way that you have to put them in place is by saying, you know, this meaningful and actionable is the yeah. language around, did the user achieve their goal? Not how much work is it? Okay. 
All right. And so, so that I, wait, that's did the user achieve the goal? Now, thinking like somebody who comes from a project management background, and I've and I've actually opened up the Scrum Guide and highlighted a sentence that says each sprint may be considered a considered a short project. If I get that story about updating the address, I am going to create a list of activities. Or let me try to think of if I was creating the acceptance criteria, I would say that you know the user can update all these fields. Um, and I would create a bunch of actions around that, but these are all f- like the things that I'm doing. They don't necessarily guarantee that this story has been solved from the user's perspective, right? Yeah, like and and that uh, that tips back into my amateur psychology again. There's there's an information architecture around this stuff that starts at an operation level. User can change the field. User can click the mouse. And above that operations level is a task. User can change their preferred channel of contact. And above that task is an activity. User can update how we stay in touch with them. And above that activity is a goal. And and it's in sub-goal. I'll say sub-goal and goal because the user story is capturing a sub-goal. Right. I want to manage my profile information so that we can maintain the effectiveness of our communication. That's, okay. that's sort of my user story sub goal underneath which I have this activity of updating my contact channel, which includes the task of making a change uh, to my profile information, which includes the operation of selecting this choice from a field. So you're doing work breakdown structure in your head of the things the user needs to be able to do. And I can see where somebody would start to put those into the backlog. Yeah, right. So that's given a particular design approach of a user interface that you already have imagined in your head of mm-hmm. the way you're going to let them do that. And so, right, engineers right, we and designers, we build stuff to solve problems and so there is some implicit or tacit understanding of, well, why are we using a dropdown control? Why are we putting it into profile information? Why are, you know, why are we doing those things? And, and, they, and there are these logical and immediate answers that are buried in our heads, but they're implicit and they're not shared. And often with larger teams, we have different people with different ideas in their head, not sharing with each other. And so we end up building products that aren't as good as they could be. And we're also not people. not confirming with the user that it's the way the user wants it to work. Right. Well, and that's that output versus outcome right. quandary. Um, and even, you know, even the, what I see with Agile a lot is people doing the old things, but sticking new names on them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like we, we went through with the, one of those. Dino- I have no idea what you're talking about there. <laughs> one, one of those Dymo label makers. And we came yeah. in and just, cricked out the the label motorcycle and stuck it on the back of our car. Yeah. Hey, now I'm in a motorcycle. Yeah. But it's not four wheels. Right. Uh, Like even the scrum guide still uses some of the language, some of the vocabulary of that old world in trying to describe the new world. And that might be perfectly appropriate because they're describing this new world for people who live in the old world. And so you have to use language that is familiar. The risk is that you get your label maker out and you keep doing the old thing, but you you fool yourself into you thinking think you're doing the new right. thing. So how should somebody go about making sure that the story that they write is actually focused on the user experiencing a desired outcome? 
Uh, let, let me write down for a second because I have to give you three answers to that question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And my three answers are around syntax, testing, and context. Okay. Uh, so the syntax is assuring that, uh, and, and I do a class, uh, I, I call it the shuhari of writing user stories, although I don't know that that's really the right way to think about it, of shifting from describing what you plan to build, the, okay. the, the very first step, and it is way insufficient. This is the training wheels version for somebody who's a, who's, who needs to get into a BMX bike competition, mm -hmm. is to take the thing you plan to build and restructure the words to make it look like a user story. As a user, I want to log into the system so that I can access my data. Well, no, nobody wants to log in, right? We're just, we, we, we want to build a login page. We want to force the users to go through a login page. So we're going to write something shaped like a user story that isn't actually a user story. Because the user's goal isn't I log in. The user's right. goal so then, is my information is protected. I have access to whatever, right? But when you tell them that, then they write it from the perspective of somebody in the company who wants them to be logged in. Well, that 1% of the time, that's fine. 99% of the time, that's a train wreck. So like, let me, let me, cut, <laughs> let me cut you off there. Like, that's, that's a situational thing. I would say until you know how to write user stories, just don't do that. Yeah. Don't play with you're your gonna, guys. You're going to paint yourself into a corner again. It's that sort of fooling yourself. So, like, so the first step is get into a syntax. As a user, I need to do a thing for a reason, and the, and you can use the jobs to be done syntax. You can use the connector syntax. Right? There's there's two or three different formats. I would say, in the context of organizational change, standardize on one context because people have to learn how to read the particular syntax and do meaningful things with it. So just okay. pick one. I like the Conextra format because it's easy to boot up into. And just uh, so people, because Conextra is something a lot of people aren't going to know what that actually is. That's mm -hmm. the asset I want to, so I can. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. And so then, right, just move into that syntax and then, and then get back into that notion we talked about a few minutes ago around operations, tasks, activities, and purpose. Okay. Make sure you're talking in a language, not as, a, as an Amazon customer, I want to click on my username so that I can see my profile, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to be talking operations and tasks. It's I want to update my information so that we can stay connected or so that my packages arrive where I live now. Now, is it, so I always just describe that as don't, tell the designers or the programmers how to solve the problem. Don't, don't say click a button because that's not your job. But, okay. Yeah. You know, that's, that's helpful in it. Uh, it, it implies again, sort of the vocabulary of the old, sew it over the wall functional silos. Yeah. Right. Okay. In, in reality, we're building these things collaboratively, right? We have, okay. we have engineering perspectives, design perspectives, business perspectives, and, each of us sees this situation from a different vantage point. Each of us sees the situation with particular blind spots. And so what ends up being really helpful with the different vantage points is we kind of fill in each other's blind spots. It's like helping, you know, helping the driver back up the car if they can't quite see if yeah. they're going to back into the dumpster. Okay. So, uh, so step one is get that syntax right. And, and I agree with your point around... Uh, get enough information in there to have a conversation. And that was part of the early genesis. Like if I go into the late nineties, 
that was where uh, I want to say Ron Jeffrey. Ron, it was Ron. Yeah. Uh, who said, look, we, we want to trigger that conversation because that conversational design is an element of that cross-functional collaborative multi-viewpoint stuff. Right. That stuff kind of dies on the vine in large organizations, in broader systems, people forget to do that stuff. But there's there's two problems with that conversation. Uh, one, it doesn't happen like it should because people don't know that they need to have it. But right. let's say you go fix that problem. The second one, second problem is that helps with uh, the correctness, right? So like that individual row, you can have the conversation and everybody lines up and like, okay, for that story, Here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to understand. And you can reach that answer, whether you update it in the documentation or not. Everybody gets on the same page about exactly how that story is correct. Okay. But that's the sub goal. And all that does for you so far is allow you to locally optimize. It doesn't necessarily allow you to solve the bigger picture problem that your customer has. You it's eat your to. peas, not enjoy your dinner. Sure. Great. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, you have to look at the collection of user stories in addition to the individual details of each user story. And so this is, this is where completeness analysis comes in. And this is, this is the sticky wicket. This is what gets hard, right? So if I've got that uh, list of user stories in the spreadsheet, there is nothing in that spreadsheet that tells me if I'm missing any of the stories. There's yeah. nothing in that spreadsheet that tells me if any of the stories don't need to be there. Okay. Right. You're shifting your thinking, not from, did I, did we properly document this single user story, but rather, do we have the right collection of user stories? Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the project management shift that gets harder when you're, when you're talking about outputs, the engineers can objectively look at something and say, okay, you've scoped in all the work for the interface and you scoped in all the work for the business rules, but I don't see anything for the database. And I know that the system has to work this way. So we're missing stuff, Yeah. right? When you're objectively talking about what you plan to build, you can do a completeness and correctness analysis. And you can say, every one of these things is specified correctly given what I want to build. Okay. And we missed some stuff. And oh, that thing isn't needed. You can do that about the outputs. But that doesn't tell you whether or not you've solved the problem. And that's the crux. Okay. All you can be certain about is we finished all the stuff we needed to, to correctly build what we planned to build. I feel like we've pushed this cart up to the edge of the cliff and now I'm going to push it over. So how do we make sure we build the right thing? How do we make sure we solve the problem, Scott? <laughs> yeah. So if Crash. like if I first of all, if I had that answer, <laughs> I wouldn't have to do this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd have one of my people talk to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but here's something I do know. We can't solve the we can't solve that problem with the conversational design of the systems that are that I've been seeing for 20 years. Yeah. Because people if, don't look at it as a whole thing. They look at it as, I just have to do this one job. Build yeah, this one user story out. That's it. What, yeah. Like they, all by when, itself. When they're oriented to the outputs. So like this order giver, order taker, they, when they, um, when they let somebody else be obligated for uh, whether or not the product is any good, mm -hmm. that's it. 
that's a problem. And, you know, so, and it comes back to the, like, why do agile transformations fail? You know, you can, you can put it into a soundbite and say, well, you didn't actually uh, transform. You just got your Dymino label out, labeler out there and you stuck new stickers on all the old things. Right. You didn't actually change. I'm like, well, okay, but we want to change. And, and now we're doing these ceremonies and we've got people with these new titles, uh, scrum master, product owner, you know, it's all different. And well, yeah, but it's not different. And if you go all the way down to that core unit, if the user story doesn't have the voice of the user in it and isn't sharing the voice of the user with the developer, then none, of course, none of the other stuff's going to work because all the other stuff, right, in these, uh, in Scrum at the team level, there's, there's this escape hatch of, oh, well, you should have a conversation. Well, yes, right. And once you have a conversation, then a good team. I love that you call succeeds. it an escape hatch. Well, I mean, that's kind of how it's written. Um, a good team <laughs> is going to succeed in spite of the shortcomings of the process. And a bad team won't succeed no matter how good the process is. Okay. So like okay. at the single team level, it's like that. When you, when you get to these different scaling solutions and, you know, and we, and we know companies that offer them uh, and, and different models uh, for doing agile at scale, what's not obvious, but is absolutely present is the dependence of all of these different layers of conversation around user stories and sprint design and program increment planning and feature release plans and product roadmaps and epics and initiatives and OKRs. You run all the way up these stacks and all of the designs of systems and organizations and roles to execute on all that stuff and, and govern it and whatever. All of it is coming back down into this fundamental building block of the user story in Agile systems based on the premise that the user story embodies the goal of the user. And okay. when your user stories don't embody the goals of the user, they just embody the, the, a work breakdown structure of things you plan to build. Right. Then that whole house of cards just falls down. Okay. So I have two questions about this. Just the first one, because you mentioned work breakdown structure. When I describe taking a user story and breaking it down to the task level, I always explain it as the tasks are the things that need to be done to deliver the user story. And I tell people, this is the only thing in the PMBOK that maps to Scrum, and that is, this is work breakdown structure. So do you think that that is a flawed thing to say? No, I, th I think that's spot on. But here's the, here's the weird context shift from uh, new labels for old things. Yes, that's absolutely true for executing the work for your first version of that user story. Right. Okay. But the implicit assumption is, I am now done with that user story. Well, What's next? Okay. So I, I'm, that, I'm not making that assumption because the, just to play the other side of the table, the argument that I would make here is that the whole point of Scrum is to deliver the finished thing and see, is this, does it scratch the itch? So we thought this was the answer. We built the thing. Here it is. Is this do it or not? And if it doesn't, we put another story into the backlog to change what we just did until we get to the outcome that we desired by delivering outputs until somebody says, I'm good. Let's move on to the next thing. 
Yeah, and that's that's exactly right, and it's exactly how it's supposed to work. But it does. But here's 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 the <laughs> crux, right? So operationally, when you're outside of the team looking in and yeah. observing them, you see them doing that, and then the question: Did it work? Which is the decision point for try again or what's next, right? Yeah. If it worked, what's next? If it didn't work, try again. And try that's, again would be okay if we didn't have a schedule. Yeah, which is which is what gets tricky, and, and why, like I said, why why my minions aren't talking to you because I I don't really know how to do that, <laughs> but I know you can't do it if you have the wrong version of did it work? Okay, but did it work is a very different question than did you finish? And so yeah, and so here's the crux: if your user story doesn't actually capture and encapsulate an understanding from the point of view of the user of if it worked, then you can't use it, right? The, the user story is an attractor of the conversation, right? We're making these decisions around each user story and the work breakdown structure of the tasks that we executed in our attempt to deliver on it. If okay. that user story doesn't have a user goal, then you can't actually ask the question, did it work? You can only ask the question of, did I finish? Yeah, it seems to me like did it solve the problem would be a better question, but you, you have to kind of make sure that between the story and the acceptance criteria, that it clarifies how the user understands the problem has been solved. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's what's good enough what's good enough for the user from the point of view of the user. And you know, for the for the product folks who are listening, there are layers above this. Which which problems do you choose to solve? To what degree do you choose to solve them? For which customers are we solving problems? All of those layers are critically important and, and totally live yeah. in the product management world too. But given whatever choices we make there, then we get down into the user story and say, how do we make sure we rally our teams around our understanding of what good enough looks like? Yeah. Okay. And good enough doesn't have to mean perfect. It can be good enough to move on to the next thing because we're going to accumulate enough good enoughs to release it and learn from that. Yeah. It, it almost never should be perfect. Okay. Right. Because uh, right, one, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, two, we have fixed capacity and every single thing we build comes at the opportunity cost of not building something else. Yeah. And I there's think- diminishing returns and there's S curves of implementation. And right, like there are all of these biases against it. It's almost like a self regulating system that yeah. says the harder you push on one thing, the less energy you have to push on another on thing. On the other thing. Yeah. That's, I feel like it should always be, do you want a new version of this more than something else? Yeah, abs, abs, absolutely. Okay. And um, so that's those are our sort of our feedback loops. And the user story is actually a really good quantum for choosing to see if it worked because okay. we, don't, we don't have the capacity to actually test every single user story. So sometimes you just run with it. So is you, it fair to say is it f- fair to say that the user story is I think a lot of people come into it and I've actually said this in class it's it's a way that people capture requirements but it's it's not really supposed to be that it's a way of demonstrating an understanding of a problem and a desired outcome 
It's yeah, it's sort of it's sort of both of those things. Okay. Um, and what to to write a good user story, you have to think about what is the what is the right collection of user stories in this context for our product strategy for in our competitive environment for this customer. Yeah. Which is why I introduced before the notion of sub goals and goals. If, okay. if you think of each user story as a sub goal, I want to update my information. It's in a broader goal of I want to be able to buy stuff online. Yeah. And so, what are all the what are what are all the sub goals that we have to hit on in order to, to address the broader goal? Okay. But I can't have that conversation if my user stories are broken. It's that those critical decisions are completely yeah. opaque to the team. Okay. And I can't, I can't have them participate. I don't create those tight learning cycles of yeah. opportunities for feedback because I'm, I'm just, I'm straight up not using the language of here's, here's what, what we think it needs to accomplish yeah. in order to ask the question, did it accomplish that for that user? Okay. If I don't talk that way, I can't ask the question. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to, well, first of all, if people, and I'm, I'm just going to ask you, Scott, if people are interested in learning more about writing good user stories, do you have an opportunity where they can learn how to do that? Uh, yeah. So I've, uh, I've started re revisiting how to write things about that. Right. So I've, I've, I've been uh, training and coaching and mentoring, you know, in, in a private client environment. So, um, you know, some of those insights I'm repackaging and letting them leak out into the public sphere. So, you know, looking, looking at my blog or uh, following me on LinkedIn is probably a, a great way to stay tapped in as I figure out the right way to share this. You know, okay. I mean, and, and, and over the last hour or so, we sort of discovered that, you know, there's like 30 different topics here that are yeah. all deeply intertwined. It's rabbit holes everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I can't just sit down and, and pop out one quick screed and have it be useful to everyone. Right. And so like, that's why I started with the blog post that, you know, sort of triggered us having this conversation. Um, the, the product needs to be special, which means I need to figure out the right sub goals to really be special about in the context of a bigger goal of this is a special product. we got to do that stuff up front so that April and the people who are doing positioning can position it without lying. Yeah. So and I, I, I want to, that's a key frame. So you mentioned before you have a class in user stories though, right? Uh, yeah. I, well, I have, I have several classes. Uh, oh, that, that's my, I was trying to tee it up for you to promote the classes. Oh yeah. So that like, but that's, that's the catch. They are currently only private client classes. Ah, so, okay. So I would but say they can reach, still out, reach to, out to you about yes, that, right? Re okay. Reach out to me and let's have that conversation. Um, I, I, you know, I don't have a, an online training or a public training forum where I can come in and teach with you. Okay. Uh, and, and, and one of the challenges of that, and we've talked about it here is everybody is learning how to write better user stories and better collections of user stories in the context of the system that they're in. Yeah. And they're when there's some incongruence between, you know, refusing to talk about outputs and only talking about outcomes with people who are refusing to hear about outcomes and only want to hear about outputs, you know, that's, you're sort of throwing somebody to the wolves if you yeah. just say, hey, 
stop doing that because it's bad. I mean, it is bad and they should stop doing it, but you got to <laughs> kind of help them uh, operate in the environments where they are. Okay. So I, you kind of sparked this thing for me. I'm looking at all this stuff on my desk now and I'm wondering like, okay, well, if I have this um, particular thing in front of me, like, why is it a special, like, why is this product special to me? I mean, is that, do you, do you ever is that kind of head down this path that your colleague April's working on? Like she, she's the one figuring out like why this particular pen would be special to somebody over another pen. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, she's helping people build, build that messaging and understand what, what their customers care about and understand the right ways to present it. Like, yeah. you know, looking at my desk, I've got, I've got this thing called a time timer, which is a, a little, right. A little countdown egg timer thing that's designed for facilitation. And it. uh, you know, I have the little travel size one. There's also a big one. And it just, it has a countdown of 60 minutes to zero. And then, you know, the beep goes off at the end. But mm -hmm. what's really cool about it is it doesn't have a hand, like like on a watch or, you know, a wall clock from elementary school. Yeah, It doesn't have a hand. It has this big red area. And so you can see it with your peripheral vision. You never have to stop looking at the camera or engaging with your class or whatever, but you can quickly get a sense for how much time you have remaining. Okay. So like when I'm facilitating, that's a super useful characteristic that, that red area that I can view. Yeah. And right. My goal is to not, not look at my watch all the time. Right. Like that's, you know, mm -hmm. that's the, the, or the, the facilitation equivalent of that because yeah. it's, it's super rude and you knock yourself off your, um, your flow. Yeah. But being able to have a sense of how much time I have left, that's a valuable thing, right? That's what makes this time timer clock special versus an egg timer that, you know, has the same thing, zero minutes to 60 minutes, and it, and it runs down and God forbid, it might even tick for it to be awful on the audio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you can look at a product and say, what makes it special? Or if you are innovating, you could look at a product and say, why isn't it special? Or oh. for whom is it not special? Okay. And that opens the door to saying, well, gosh, I should probably talk to some people like that. Yeah. Find out what they care about. And then you run down all of those paths that get you to writing a good user story. Okay. Because we didn't even talk about whether or not the goal that you picked for the user story is a meaningful one. But that also has to happen. But you have to build that on a foundation of understanding how user stories need to live in the system they're in and yeah. how to write one that is useful in that system. And then you can start worrying about putting a better quality of information inside it. Okay. This is good. I'm glad that we went back to that at the end, because I wanted to, to, to call back to that and what you mentioned in the article. So um, you said, if people want to find you, they can look on LinkedIn, they can go to your blog, which I'll include a link to that. Um, I really appreciate you taking time to talk about this. I feel like we could spend a whole day Went out all these rabbitals, but um, well, yeah. Hopefully, we, we, we start with the whole day. Yeah, start with the whole day. But thank you very much for doing this. Thank you, Dave. This is always always great to chat with you. Um, yeah, it was fun. Every every time we do it, I love it. <laughs> Me too.